Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, my name is David, and I serve at our Halstead campus as well as uh, at the main office. I was here about a month ago, and it's a uh, pleasure to be back with you and to continue the mission here at Bridgewater Vestal. I uh, bring greetings again from Halstead. Uh, we continue to pray for you uh, as all of us together seek to make uh, more and better disciples of Jesus Christ in this region. If you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know we've been doing a series on prayer. And if you've missed any of those uh, messages, I would encourage you to go online and, and check out our podcast and get caught up on those. Last week, we, or two weeks ago, excuse me, we talked about how God answers every single prayer. There's never been a prayer that you've prayed that God hasn't answered, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it was answered because it was answered with a no or a not now or not like that because sometimes God has a better idea, right? And it's in those moments sometimes of when God answers no or when we just have to wait for that answer. Sometimes it's in those moments that God grows our dependence, dependency on him the most. And then last week, we talked about how to be powerful prayers. Sometimes God answers, it, God answers no, and there's nothing we can do about that. But there's other times where God's answer actually could be changed from a no to a yes, that's how crazy God's plan for prayer really is, is that we can actually change how God acts in the world through our prayers, and we can do that when we pray God's will and when we obey God's will. Well, this week we're going to talk about practical prayer. You can almost think of this as an application for this entire series on prayer. We're going to be answering the questions of how, how do we really pray God's will and how do we continue the conversation with God when he gives us a, a no or a not now or a not like that? How do we continue in that conversation? And today we're going to dive into a, a practical method for prayer that I, I hope and I pray is, is really going to breathe some fresh air into your prayer life. Because maybe as we've been going through this series talking about powerful prayer and talking about being diligent in prayer, you've, you've thought to yourself, man, I've tried that before, but it just hasn't worked. I've tried the prayer thing before, but it just never really worked for me. Or maybe you've thought, you know, maybe that, that prayer thing, that's for really, really, really spiritual people, but not for someone like me. Maybe like me, your prayers at times just feel a little shallow or they feel like you're not really connecting with God. Maybe it feels like at times that your prayer life is more like a, a laundry list of things that you just hand to God that you'd like him to do and it doesn't really feel like you're connecting with him and it feels like maybe your conversation with the person who takes your order at Duncan is more lively than your conversation with God. Maybe it just feels like you're not really connecting with God in prayer and it feels like when you pray you're really just talking to a wall or talking to yourself. You just go through the same list over and over again, and you're wondering, is prayer really supposed to be like this? Or maybe you don't really do the whole list thing, but you just don't know what to say in prayer. Anytime you go to try and pray, you just have no idea what to say, so you just repeat what other, you've heard other Christians say when they are praying and hope that that's okay, because you just don't know what to say. Well, if any of that connects with you, I want you to know that you're not alone. I'm right there with you, and so are probably every single other person in this room. And, and here's the good news for us this morning. For all the times that we don't know what to say in prayer, for all the times that it feels like we're just going through the same list over and over again, there is a solution. There's another way to pray. Today we're going to talk about how we can change our prayer life through praying the Bible. 
We can change our prayer life through praying the Bible. And praying the Bible is simply praying God's own words back to him. That's all it is, praying God's own words back to him. And there's a guy named Donald Whitney who actually wrote a, a short book on this idea. And here's ba- the basic concept. You take a passage of Scripture, typically a psalm, but not exclusively. There's other great passages of Scripture that you can pray through as well. But you just take a passage of Scripture and you use the words of that passage to pray to God. You start with just praying what's right in the text, and as the text reminds you of things, you can then pray about them. You can then worship God. You can then turn to God in prayer as the text reminds you of things. Essentially, what you're doing is you are using the Bible as a springboard and as a, as a guide and as a, a way to inform and inspire and direct your prayers. It's a very simple concept, but can really transform our prayer lives by giving us permission not to just pray through a list. I'm not saying praying through a list is a bad thing. I did that this morning. I do it often. But it gives us permission to also be a little more, uh, I guess you could say, spontaneous in our prayers, to be inspired by what the, the Word says and, and to, to pray to God, to thank Him for all that He is and for all that He does. And today we're going to see that I think praying the Bible can breathe life can breathe excitement, it can breathe power into our prayers by releasing us from praying the same old things about the same old things. It can give us words when we are lost and how and what to pray. It can give us permission to use the scripture to direct, to inform, to inspire our prayers. We said last week that we need to pray God's will. And Brett said that praying God's will is praying in line with what he says in the Bible, Right? But we have to know it's in the Bible in order to do that, right? Well, praying the Bible actually makes that really easy, doesn't it? I mean, when we're praying the literal words of God back to Him, we know that we're praying in God's will because His will is in His Word. It's not a mystery. It's right here. It's in His Word. And we can actually use those words to to pray back to Him. Praying the Bible will help you take your prayer beyond just a conversation. It'll help you pray in tune with God's heart and, I think, in the process It'll actually transform your own. You see, prayer is more than a conversation because it's not just about what we tell God. It's also about what we tell ourselves when we pray. You see, God already knows everything, right? We don't need to inform him about anything. But as we pray, but when we, when we pray the Bible, it's going to remind us of what is true, and that will enable us to approach God with our hearts and our minds in the right place. And so this morning, we're going to see two areas where Praying the Bible reminds us of the truth. Two areas where praying the Bible reminds us of the truth. First, praying the Bible reminds us what is true about God. Praying the Bible reminds us what is true about God. Praying the Bible can help us keep, make sure that what we think of God is actually correct and in line with what the Scriptures say. And and here's why this is important, because our prayers really need to accurately reflect who God is, because we can't really pray to Him, we can't really praise Him for who He is if we are confused or if we've forgotten who He is and what He's like. You can kind of think of it like this. Let's say that after the service, you come up to me and you tell me that you met my wife and you're, uh, you were really excited and you think she's a really great person and you go on to describe my wife as a tall brunette who loves dogs. I would look at you cross-eyed and say, um, did you meet somebody else? My wife is short. 
she's blonde and she loves cats. I'm not sure what's going on here. I would get a little confused. But you're not deterred. You go on to continue to praise my wife as this tall, brunette, dog-loving person. You keep going on and on about how great she is and how you can't believe that such a great person would marry an idiot like me. And while I would agree that I'm married up, I would still be saying, listen, that's not my wife, right? You would think that your praise of her, that you're talking well of her, should make both of us happy, but we really that praise is meaningless. It's based on inaccurate, incorrect information. And the same is true in our praise of God. We can't actually know, we have to actually know Him in order to praise Him correctly. In fact, the minute that we veer from what's true about God, we're actually going towards idolatry. And so we need to make sure that we have a right knowledge of God when we approach Him. And so this morning, we're going to kind of take a look at what that could actually look like. And so if you, if you will, in your Bible or on the screen behind me, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 100. You can turn there. Psalm chapter 100. We're going to look at an example of how praying through the Bible reminds us what is true of God and how we can actually do that. So let's look at Psalm chapter 100. I'm going to read this, the whole thing for you. It's only five verses. It's pretty short. Psalm chapter 100. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And so this psalm reminds us of many things that are true about God, and we're just going to take a look at a few. It says that He is Lord, that He is Creator, that He's good, that He's shepherd, that He's faithful, that He's worthy of praise. I'm sure that we could find some more as we dig through here. And in your prayer life, you could use a psalm like this to remind you what is true of God. We could start again with simply praying those words back to Him. And as you are reminded of the truths that those words represent, you can then add in your own words and continue to pray and continue to praise God for who He is. And so I'm going to actually walk through this psalm verse by verse, and I'm going to just kind of give you an idea of what that could practically look like. We're trying to be, make this really simple. What, what would it actually look like to pray through this psalm? Well, starting in verses 1 and 2, they talk about singing and shouting and giving praise to God. And maybe as you read through that, you think about the, the joy and the gladness that are a part of your life because of what Jesus has done for you. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, God has taken, part, uh, taken care of your biggest problem. Your biggest problem was sin that separated him you from him. And Jesus took care of that at the cross. And so maybe as you're, you see the words joy and you see the words gladness, you think about the joy and the gladness that are now a part of your life because of what Jesus has done for you. We got to celebrate that this morning, right? We got to see two people who uh, accepted Christ this week and two people who took their next step of faith. And there was joy and there was gladness on their faces, right? That's all because of what Jesus did. And so maybe as you read Verses 1 and 2, you're just moved into worship and you're moved into praise as you, rem you remember how your life can now have joy and gladness. Or maybe as you, as you read those verses, you hear the word song and you think of some of the worship songs that maybe that we sing here or that you like to listen to yourself and you decide to just right there 
sing through those songs or pray through those songs. Just have a little time of worship right there by yourself. Moving on to verses 3 and 4. As you read through those verses, you might be reminded that God is your shepherd. It says that we are the sheep of his pasture. So maybe you're reminded that God is your shepherd, that he has always taken care of you. And so you take a few minutes right there to just name and thank him for some of the ways he's provided for you in the last week, the last month, the last year. You just praise him for that. If, it, if this were me and I was praying through this, I would be reminded of how he provided a car for us when our car got totaled by a deer. I think I mentioned that to you when I was here a month ago, that we had hit a deer and we weren't sure what was, what was going to happen with our car. Well, it ended up being, ended up being totaled. Well, about a month before that happened, I was talking with someone at church about something completely unrelated, and in that conversation, they brought up how they had this car that they were going to need to sell. And at the time, I thought, okay, maybe this will be a second car for Joanne and I. We've always had one car our whole married life, and I thought maybe we'd go to two, but God obviously had a different plan, right? Well, when we hit that deer and we needed to take it to the shop, this family, the Robinsons at uh, Halstead, were willing to let us borrow their car while ours was in the shop. And then when, while it took them like three weeks to decide that it was going to be totaled, they continued to let us borrow it. And then when they decided it was totaled, they continued to let us borrow the car. And now they're actually going to sell us the car for a pretty good price once they can get some things in order. Now, what is all of that craziness? That's God being our shepherd. That's God being my shepherd, taking care of my needs before I even knew that they existed. I didn't even know I was going to need a, a car in a month. I didn't, and I didn't even go to Walt thinking, hey, I need to ask him if he has a car that's available that I can buy from him. No, I just went to him to talk about something completely different. But God worked through all of that. He worked in the Robinsons' life so that they had a, an extra car that they needed to sell. He worked in their hearts so that they were generous people who were willing to let us borrow their car. He worked in my mind some way to lead me to have a conversation with him. All along, God was working. That's God being my shepherd. That's God providing for. That's God protecting. That's God taking care of my needs. And so maybe as, as you read through this verse, you're reminded of some situation like that where God provided in a way only he can. Maybe as you pray verse 5, you're reminded that the Lord is good. Simple enough concept, but how often do we doubt God's goodness in prayer? I don't know about you, but sometimes I can go to God kind of asking with an expectation that he's just not going to do what's best. Sometimes I even think he's out to get me. I don't know about you, but sometimes even in the middle of asking for his blessing, I can doubt his goodness. But when I pray through the Psalms, when I pray the Bible, I'm reminded that he is good, that he does what is good. Maybe as you continue in the verse, you're Reminded of his faithfulness to you, and you thank him for it. You thank him for how he's been faithful to you over the last week or month or year. And then it continues on, and it talks about future generations. It says that God will be good to all generations. Sometimes as Christians, sometimes I feel like we can be kind of pessimistic about the future. We can kind of look into the future and say, man, this, this world is, there's no hope. And I'd say, yeah, there is no hope, except for the fact that God is going to be faithful to future generations, just like he's been faithful to us. And so maybe as you read through this psalm, you're reminded of future generations, and you want to pray for them, pray that they would follow Jesus. Maybe you want to pray for your kids or your grandkids if you have them, and you spend some time praying for them right 
there. And you can just keep going like this until you run out of time or until you run out of psalm or whatever you're praying through. You can just keep going like this, just using the words of the Bible to inform, to inspire, to direct your prayers. You see how much just a few verses could impact your prayer life. Just start with praying these words. Just start with praying those to God. And as you're reminded of what is true of God, let your prayers reflect on those truths and praise God for who he is and for all that he's done for you. Praying the Bible reminds us what is true of God. And we already said, God doesn't need to be reminded what is true of him, right? But we do. And as we pray through Psalm 100, we are reminded that God is our shepherd, that he is good to us, that he is always taking care of us, and that he will always take care of future generations as well. Well, not only does praying the Bible remind us what is true of God, but secondly, praying the Bible reminds us what is true of ourselves. Praying the Bible reminds us what is true of ourselves. And when we pray the Bible, it's going to remind us what is true of us so that we can approach God with an attitude of, of humility, an attitude of dependency. Let's look back at verse 3 of Psalm 100. It says this, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So again, what does this say about us? It reminds us that we are made by God. It reminds us that we are his, that we are his people. And here in Psalm 100, that was referring specifically to being part of the nation of Israel. But for us today, it reminds us that we are part of God's family because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. This morning, we got to celebrate two people who were being added to God's family, right? Well, actually four in two different ways, right? They were being added to God's family. So it says that we are sheep in his pasture. So again, as you pray this psalm, you can begin by praying the words that are right there. You can just pray those exact words back to God. But as you're reminded of what is true of you, you can praise God for that. So Let's again walk through this verse and see how that could inspire our prayers. First, as you pray through this, and it says that you were made by God, you could thank God for making you. Do you realize that the God who formed the stars also made you? He made you intimately. He knows exactly who you are. He knows everything about you. In Psalm chapter 139, it it tells us that that you are God made you with intricate care and with attention to detail. And so maybe as you remember that, you want to turn to Psalm 139, or maybe you'd even pray verse four, Psalm 39, verse 14, which says, that says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Pretty well-known verse, right? You could just praise God for the fact that he made you. You could praise God for being his, because if you aren't his, that means you belong to Satan. And I don't know about you, but I don't like that option, right? But Jesus bought us back. Jesus, because of the, what he has done for us on the cross, he made it possible for us to be a part of his family. And so now we are literally God's. So you can praise him for being his. And maybe as you read verse 3 and you come across the word sheep, you think about your friend who's a farmer and who's really struggling this year. And so you just spend some time praying for him right there. That's the liberating thing about this method of prayer, is that you can pray for whatever the Spirit brings to mind as you are reading the verse. Yes, I understand. Psalm chapter 100, verse 3 is not talking about your farmer friend. I understand that. But if the Spirit brings him to mind while you are praying, you can spend some time praying for him right there. 
It's important for us to be reminded what is true of us because living in a fallen world, we're going to be told all kinds of lies, all kinds of lies about who we are and what we can do and what we should do. The world is going to tell you that you're good, that you can make it back to God on your own, especially in our American independent way of thinking, right? We don't, we don't want to be dependent on anyone else. We want, to, we want to think that we can do it on our own, that we can make it back to God on our own. We can just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make something of ourselves. But the Bible paints a very different picture of who we are. It paints a very different picture of the human condition. It says that we're needy. It says that we're weak. It says that we can't make it back to God on our own. It says that we desperately need Him both for salvation and for everyday life. One author put it this way, weakness is the window to strength. Confessing your inability produces hunger for the power that is only ever found in Jesus. He goes on to say this, I think this is so good, our problem is not our weakness, God's grace is up to the task. Our problem is our delusions of strength that keep us from seeking the grace that strengthens us in our weakness. We don't like to be weak. We, like to think we, we don't like to think of ourselves that way, and we certainly don't want others to see us that way, right? So we act as if we know things that we don't know, and we don't ask the questions that we need to ask. We, ask if we, we act as if we can handle things that we cannot handle, and we don't seek the help that's available. It's all a failed quest for the self-congratulatory glory of independence. But we are not independent. None of us are. We were not created to be dependent or excuse me, we're not created to be independent. We were formed to be dependent on the one who made us, and we were recreated in Jesus Christ to be dependent on his grace. Listen to this. God does not hold you to a standard of independent strength. God does not expect of you what you do not have. He knows who you are. He is never shocked or dismayed by your weakness. He has moved toward you in grace because you are weak, and you have no hope in life or death Without him. The person who is shocked and dismayed by your weakness is you. It bothers you. It embarrasses you. It makes you want to hide and cover yourself. It causes you to pretend in public and to deceive yourself in private. Your weakness will drive you crazy unless, unless you understand the gospel of Jesus. And what is that message? It's the story of a strong and able Savior who showers his powerful grace on people who are fundamentally weak and unable. He confronts you with your weakness so you will run to him for strength. He calls you to mountains too big to climb so that in your inability you will look to him. He leads you to taste failure so that you will find your hope in him. He works to prove to you you are weak. Excuse me, how weak you really are so that you will gladly accept his invitation to enabling grace. Perhaps it's not such a bad thing to come to the end of your rope if at the end of your rope you find a strong and willing Savior. How much should that understanding of what is true of us inspire, change our lives and change our prayers? Because in that passage, Trip is really just expounding on what we saw in Psalm chapter 100, verse 3, right? It said that we are a sheep in his pasture. What does that mean? That means that we are dependent 
That means that we are weak. That means that we are not strong. We are not able to do things on our own. We need our shepherd to guide us. And praying the Bible helps us remember that we need God in all things. And this understanding of what is true of us will help us approach God with humility, with a desperate desire for His help. I don't know about you, but I often find myself thinking that I can make it through life on my own. I often act as if prayer is a last resort. Something difficult will come into my life, and I will try to just work on it at my own strength. I'll go to other people for their help. I'll maybe even search the scriptures to try and figure out how to deal with that situation. And when all of that fails me, sometimes it'll hit me like a brick wall that I never once took it to God. I never asked for his help. I said that I believe in prayer. I said that I believe God cares about all things. I said that I believe that I should go to him with everything, but I failed to go to him with this problem. Why is that? Well, it's probably because I still have some delusions of strength. I still think that I can do it on my own. I still think, somehow, despite the fact that he's proven it to me time and time again, that I'm weak. Sometimes I still think that I'm strong. But the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of prayer is that there is grace to meet me in my weakness. God loves to help those who admit their need for his help. Well, how different would your prayer life look? How different would my prayer life look? Look, if we truly believed that we are weak and needy, how much more would we run to God if we really believed that weakness was the window to strength? Well, praying the Bible will time and time again remind you what is true of you. It will do that all the time. As you come across verses like Psalm 100 verse 3, it will remind you that you are a sheep, that you are weak, that you are needy. That's actually beautiful news because God loves to meet you in your neediness with his unending grace. He's always right there, and he's always got more grace. So as we pray the Bible, we can come across verses like this, and they'll help us remember what is true of us and help us run to God. We said that praying the Bible releases you from praying the same old things about the same old things. It reminds you what is true of God, and it reminds you what is true of of you. And I mentioned that there's a book called Praying the Bible on this concept, and we actually have a few copies of this available at the uh, Welcome Center for you, the Green Room. Um, so if you would like to maybe just know some more about this or kind of study it some more, um, we'd invite you to go pick up a copy of that and read that and learn more about how to pray the Bible. Well, church, our challenge for you this morning is to try praying the Bible this week. Brett has been giving you some application points throughout this series, and, and today we're going to add one more. As you, either as you came in or on your way out, you should have gotten one of these little bookmarks that has Psalm chapter 100 on it. And so here is our challenge for you this week. Every single day this week, just take out this bookmark and pray through Psalm 100 probably take you just a couple minutes. It could take you a long, half an hour if you get really into it and really get, want to, but it could probably just take you as little as two minutes. Just, go, just pray through Psalm 100. Church, we challenge you to, to try praying the Bible. See if it doesn't inform, inspire, change your prayer life, because no longer do you have to just pray the same old things about the same old things. You can pray something new. And so, church, we challenge you to try praying the Bible every day this week. And See if it doesn't give words to your joys, give words to your pains, give direction to your wandering mind, and breathe life 
into your prayers. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm actually going to use Psalm chapter 100 as a guide. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we can shout for joy to you. That because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we can be people who have joy and gladness in our lives, no matter what is going on. God, thank you that we can worship you with gladness. God, thank you the gladness that's a part of our lives because, again, of what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for the, the gladness that we could have this morning as we celebrated two people who took their, their next step and accepted you as Savior and two other people who got baptized and took their next step in following you. God, that is so exciting. It's so fun to watch people take their next step. Thank you that we can come before you with joyful songs, that we aren't a people who have to be Solemn all the time. We aren't a people who have to be sad all the time, although there's times for those, but we can be people who have joyful songs, again, because of what Jesus has does, done for us. God, thank you that you are God. There is no God beside you. You are the one and only God. Thank you that we don't have to worry about you competing with anybody else. Thank you for making us. Thank you for making us specially and individually. Thank you for making us part of your family. Thank you that we are yours. And thank you that you are our shepherd. Oh God, there's been so many times where you've led us through valleys that sometimes we didn't want to go through. But the whole time you were with us. You have always been with us. You've always protected us. You've always provided for us. You've always taken care of our needs. God, help us to come before you with thanksgiving, to come before you with praise. God, thank you that you are good. Oh, God, we're not. So often we fail to be good, but you are good, and you do what is good, and your love endures forever, and it endures through all generations. Thank you that we can trust in that, and that we can celebrate that, then when, no matter what goes on in our world, we know that you are good, and that you are faithful, and you will continue to be so. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for Jesus, and for all that he's done for us, and all that he's made possible. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.